Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 206 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So I know I've been complaining about the cold the last couple of days. You know, I like to put light and love out into the world, but your boy just can't handle the cold. Even though I'm up here in Rhode Island, I, I just can't deal with it. It hurts the tank top moniker when I have to cover up. You know, it's just, uh, it's just all, all nonsense. Anyway, I'm not going to mention the cold today. It's like 25 today. That's kind of warm compared to where it was a couple of days ago. So we'll just take it and we'll run with it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about sick people needing joy too, right? So just because someone has an illness or a disease, that doesn't mean that it's visible. And so when people make disrespectful comments about someone because they may not look sick, it's A, it's super ignorant, and it's very hurtful and it's disrespectful. So before we get there, one, if you're new to the show, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're all about defying the odds and helping you clear the path of whatever's stopping you from reaching your goals. And so as once we get into the heart of the matter, because my guest has a very, very compelling story. And like once we get into the heart of the matter, we're going to be sharing some serious stuff, but we're, we're going to make, make you laugh. We might shock you at times, but the end goal is to leave you better educated of what it's like living with chronic illness. So if you have no idea who I am or why you should listen to me, here's one minute and 18 seconds worth of reasons why you should. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. All right, I see my mom is on. Hi, Mom. How's it going? All right, so if... This is for you, then definitely you want to stay. For, I mean, if you feel like this is for you, you definitely want to stay the whole way through if you can, or if not, catch the rest of, of the replay later on. If you feel like maybe this isn't for you, I challenge you to see it all the way through because I guarantee you we're going to change your mind because these shows are unscripted. I met my guests five minutes ago, and I don't pre-screen them. There's no pre predetermined questions. It's a free-flowing conversation about her life, what she what she's been going through, and the stamp that she's leaving on this world. So to have this conversation with me, let's welcome Melanie Melody Olander to the show. And I didn't ask her if that's how you pronounce her name. Is that how you pronounce Hi. it? Olander? Melody Olander. Yeah. Olander, damn it. I knew I should have asked. <laughs> it's okay. I get like 
Olander. I get so many different ones. So as long as it's similar, I'll respond. <laughs> as long as we're in the ballpark, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So where are you joining me from? I am in Arizona. And not to make you jealous, but I heard oh. you talk about that cold weather. Here we go. We're in the 70s over here. Here we go with you warm weather people. <laughs> what part of Arizona? I'm in Tempe, Arizona right now. Tempe. How far is that from Vegas? From Vegas, we're about four hours. Okay. Yeah, my daughter and I are going. We're going to the Grand Canyon, but we're flying in, into Vegas. Yeah, she's turning 15, and she really wants to go to the Grand Canyon. So I was like, all right, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Yeah, the Grand Canyon's cool. That's about maybe two or three hours from me. It's a little bit more north, but it's okay. really cool to go see. And yeah, it'll be cool. Nice. So are you an original Arizona gal? I am not. I am kind of all over the place. Originally from Santa Cruz, California, but okay. I am also Argentinian. So all my oh. family is from Argentina. <laughs> okay. So have you been there? Yes, I have. I used to live there for a little bit when... I was younger. I'm a dual citizen. So, okay. Yeah. Now I'm in Arizona, though, and I've been loving it. Nice. So, what brought you to Arizona? My family, actually. We moved here when we were younger, kind of got tired of everything that's in California, the natural disasters, mm. the prices. And Arizona just, we went on a road trip. Arizona seemed like the place to be. I went to college here. I love it. Okay. Good stuff. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit better before we dive into our main topic. So through the lens of your best friend, how would they describe you? <laughs> it's funny that you say that because my best friend actually sent me a video the other day and it was like, how would you describe your best friend? And it was like, <laughs> That's awesome. And so when you say that, it just makes me laugh. Um, very protective very loyal I'd say I love like if you're my friend you're my family I'm very protective very loyal and I just love them you know so that's how they always describe me as very loyal very protective very I'm not afraid to say what's on my mind they say I have no filter <laughs> I'm writing down blunt yeah very blunt <laughs> like they're anytime they introduce me they're like that's Melody. You'll know instantly if she likes you or not. She'll tell you. Like, <laughs> I don't have a filter. I love it. So in, in my working capacity, because I work a lot with personal accountability. So they were actually busting my chops in the gym earlier today that I need to be more empathetic. Right. And I was like, all right, I get it. It's like in my in my personal life, like outside of that, I have some, you know, it's there. But in that capacity, I'm like, you guys pay me to get the best out of you. Like, you guys don't pay me to listen to your excuses. Yep. You know, like, no matter how good they are, they're still excuses. You know, yep. like, every every morning when my alarm goes off at 420, I can think of 10 reasons to stay in bed. You yep. know, but, but I can think of 100 why I need to get up and go do what I have to do. So it's like, if I listen to yours, I'm doing you a disservice. Like, it's not that I'm not being empathetic. It's like, you're paying me to get you a certain result. Yeah. And it you sounds know, like, like you have the same mindset as me and yes. I used to be a project manager. So it's very similar mindset. And I always yep. tell people there's a problem for every solution or there's a solution for every problem. Exactly. So depends what kind of person you are. 
Exactly. Even getting into this podcast slash speaking space, you know, people would say, you know, if you show up in a tank top, people aren't going to take you seriously. And if you're this and if you're that. And, and I was like, OK, that's your interpretation. Because, yeah. like, I'm entitled to my own interpretation. I said, yeah. I'm a gym owner. I said, this is if I'm going to get on here and preach being your authentic self and I'm wearing a three piece suit. I'm I'm not being my authentic self. I'm a gym owner. I'm an athlete. I'm a competitor. It's like, and this shows that. So, so any which way, it's about breaking, not even so much breaking the mold, it's creating your own. You know, it's like being who you are, who you were meant to be, and not letting other people define what you should be. And I feel like that ties in to what we're going to be, what we're going to be discussing today. So before we get into all of that, take me through your childhood. Like, how would you describe it? Like, what were your dreams? What did you see yourself doing for a career? Yeah, so I, like I said, I was born, raised in Santa Cruz, California. Um, We, my mom is Argentinian. My dad's an American. I have two siblings. I always wanted to be a vet. I grew up (laughs) with parents that let me have whatever pet I wanted as long as they were rescues. So I had wild animals. I had iguanas, peacocks, like every, (laughs) what you can imagine. I wanted to be a wildlife vet. Um, That was really my idea all throughout high school. I took veterinary classes and I ended up on a full ride scholarship to ASU here. Still my idea, wanted to study wildlife veterinary. I started volunteering at one of the wildlife rescues around here. But also during that time when I was 17 was when I first got sick. Before, very type A personality. I used to be a dancer. I used to be a boxer. I used to work out nonstop. It was, I would go to school. We would have weight training. I would have my dance classes. I would get home from school I would go to the gym and then I would go to the dance studio after like very type a personality always going and one day I woke up blind in my left eye I woke up in excruciating pain no idea what was going on ended up in the hospital they ended up medically sedating me because they had no idea what was going on if I was having a stroke Like they had zero clue. I stayed medically sedated for about a week. Still couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, At that time, I was also supposed to be walking for my graduation. Mm -hmm. So they woke me up. They said, we have no idea what's going on. I asked them what day it was. It was a couple days before my graduation. And I said, all right, well, I got to go. I have to work for my graduation. (laughs) And they said, no, you're not allowed to leave. Um, I left, I walked at my graduation. I then spent the next few months still really undiagnosed. They couldn't figure out what was going on. I still couldn't see out of my left eye. They really had no clue. I ended up losing extreme amounts of weight. I started passing out all the time and started college out like that. So Mm. it was stressful. I was on a full ride scholarship. I was starting medicine. I was studying biological sciences. So there was a lot of stresses at that time. Um, Really went undiagnosed for about the next two years. Spent all my free time in the hospitals, in doctor's offices. 
I was doing my homework and assignments in the hospital or in my free time at doctor's offices. I was supposed to take a break from school. Never did that. Um, so it was really pretty chaotic until they diagnosed me with a rare neurological disease. All right, hold on. Let's pause right there. Okay. All right. All right. So, so let's go back. Okay. All right, so, so what were you working on prior to you waking up blind in a left eye and in pain? Like, so, what, what was life like right before that moment? Yeah. So I was working quite a bit. I was working at a golf course. I was a waitress at a golf course. I was actually pretty easy on the school load. I finished all my school courses and all my credits by my junior year. So I was supposed to graduate early, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to kind of hang out for senior year, take it easy. Um, so it was actually a pretty easy year considering everything. I was excited to start school. I had a full ride scholarship, so I wasn't going to be paying for anything. Yeah. Um, living at home. So it was... I don't know. It was good. And I was in a different relationship at that time. So it was a lot of good things. And <laughs> it's, I always say it happened for a reason, though, because it definitely switched my course. I was planning on going, like I said, for veterinary, I was going to be studying biological sciences for veterinary. Yeah. And that was going to be a very demanding job in a lot of ways. So yeah, that was kind of my mindset back then. Okay. And so so now we're, we're, there, we're at that morning. So you wake up, you can't see. What's your mental state like initially? Panicking. I <laughs> What I talk about now, I say like it's dramatic, but like I was screaming for my mom saying I'm blind. Like mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going on. She called my... Uh, neurologist because I had had migraines in the past so I had she called and she's like is this a migraine what's going on and she said no you need to take her to the ER immediately that's not normal yeah. um, my body was in excruciating pain they it was like unlike anything I had ever felt before I my brain <laughs> like my head was in so much pain like my first thought when I woke up was to check my head because I thought I had been like stabbed or something was in my head because I was in so mm -hmm. much pain. I couldn't see. So it was, it was surreal. Like when I look back, it feels dramatic. But then at the same time, when I got to the hospital, they put me on all these painkillers and couldn't get any of the pain down, couldn't figure out what was going on. It makes me realize like kind of how severe it was. Mm. Okay. And so, so now I'm just trying to, trying to piece the piece together what you were feeling, you know? So the only, the only thing I can really equate it to in my world was I was also 17. I was getting ready to, well, actually I think I had, I had turned 18 at this point. I was actually going to go into the military. So I was on my last day of work at the restaurant and I'm doing my thing. I was, I was a cook slash supervisor, but I was cooking at this time. I remember I bent down to get something out of the reach and I just felt pressure in my chest. I was like, the hell was that? <laughs> you know, it was like, I wasn't sick or anything. It was just so out of the blue. And 
So I, I worked a few more hours, and I just noticed any time I bent down, there was just something weird going on in here. And so my I go to my manager, and of course she freaks out. She she calls an ambulance, and I was dating one of the, the waitresses at the time, so she's freaking out. You know, so I'm getting taken out on a stretcher, but now I'm in the hospital. And kind of similar to what you were saying in the beginning, they didn't really know what was going on. And so at one point, I lied back. And the, you know how, how like you make the popping sound with, with your mouth? It, a sound like that was coming out of my chest. And so so now I'm panicking. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and so one doctor comes in. he's puts the, the stethoscope. But I'm looking at his face. right? And his face isn't giving me reassurance. I'm like, this dude doesn't know what this is. And so he he leaves 20 minutes later, someone else comes in and now the sound from my chest is getting louder and it's getting more painful. And I'm thinking, am I having a heart attack? Like, am, am I dying? Like, what is happening? So the second doctor comes, same thing, puts the stethoscope on and just has this puzzled face. And so now by the time the third doctor comes in, you can hear it without the stethoscope. Like it was like, like the sound was just echoing from my chest. It took six doctors to figure out what was going on. And like, so I was panicking. So when you were in there in pain, can't see and not getting any answers, like what was that like for you? Honestly, pure panic. I felt like part of me felt like I was dying. Part of me felt like I was insane. Like if they can't, figure out what it is immediately like are you imagining this like is it Mm. you know (laughs) like and they ended up medically sedating me and the weirdest part about that is I think people assume that when you're medically sedated you're completely out of it you hear nothing you aren't aware at all but I wasn't able to talk I wasn't able to like move but I could still hear everything Mm. that was going on and I think that was also the most like stressful part is because they talk about you like you're not in the room and like doctors would be like, we have no idea what's going on. Like, yeah. is she dying? Is And you can't talk, you can't react. And I think that was probably the scariest feeling yeah. of being like, what the hell is going on? Did, did, Even you doctors- like you were, did you feel like you were stuck in a dream? Yeah, that's. And that's kind of why when I look back, it feels so surreal and I have to think about it for a second because that's exactly what it feels like. It didn't feel real. I was like, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be back home. This is just a dream. Like, Mm. it's a weird nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my sister had a brain aneurysm burst in 2016 and she was she was in a medically induced coma for two to three weeks, I want to say. And I remember at one point we asked the nurses, like, can, can she hear us? And so the, the nurse goes up to her. She's like, let's find out. And she's like, Ramona, she's like, Ramona, can you hear us? She's like, give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. And now she had some p- paralysis, but she was able to move her hand and she gave us the thumbs up. So from that moment, we started playing music. We were telling her stories, like just reminding her funny things that she did. And reading her books and just everything. And, you know, we really think that that kind of helped keep her keep her, her with us because for a minute there, we didn't know if she, she was going to make it or not. But she was in some rough shape. And so just I'm glad that you shared that just so people know if that ever happens to someone that they know or someone that they love is that they can hear you. 
and try to definitely surround them with as much positivity as possible. Because the last thing you want to hear while you're there is like, is she going to make it or not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to hear that stuff. Yeah, literally. So, and that, that's been like, it's crazy hearing you say that because people that I talk to as well who have been in similar situations, that's what they usually tell me is in one way or another, they're able to hear or they're aware of what's going on or they're able to remember and I think so many people think that because you almost seem like asleep or something, mm -hmm. you're not there and you can't hear. And yeah, like you said, just fill the room with positivity, talk to them like they're awake, read them stories because 24 hours being <laughs> laying there straight day after day, you start kind of losing your mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. So having people talk to you like you're still there and you're a person, it really does. I feel like change things. So before they sedated you, I'm sure they told you that they were going to do that, right? Yes and no. Um, okay. When they were trying to get my pain down, they couldn't figure out what was going on. I was still hadn't been admitted yet. Mm -hmm. And with all these painkillers that they were giving me, my pain levels not going down. My blood pressure started crashing pretty dramatically mm -hmm. to where it was kind of like, almost an instant decision. They were like, all right, we need to admit you and we're going to need to medically sedate you from keeping your body crashing. Mm. And it was probably like less than an hour. <laughs> and mm. I was so out of it at that point from all the painkillers they had given me to, it just almost felt like it was more painkillers that they were giving me. And yeah, it was, it was such a weird feeling that like you said it just definitely felt like a dream and i remember like patches of it yeah boy so what was your parents state of mind at this point <laughs> i think that was the stressful part on me too my parents are divorced okay. um i'm live with my mom pretty much full time especially back then my dad i see a little bit less often he's remarried the two of them don't necessarily get along very well okay. <laughs> um so my mom was staying with me in the hospital like 24 7 he was coming to visit but of course there's that bickering that fighting especially when they think mm. that you're not awake oh, and no. can't hear it yeah so it was stressful on me too and then you hear like their individual crying or like I had friends visiting me and they were crying as well. So I think that's also hard. Like you said, keep it yes. positive. But I don't think they were aware that <laughs> I was aware the full yes. time. Okay. All right. So now you wake up and take, take me through what happens next. <laughs> so I wake up. They're a little bit more serious. They're like, all right, we can't figure out what's going on. Um my mom looks like she's been crying. They look very serious. My first question was because like I've been getting like all my nutrients and stuff and whatever from IVs. And my first thing when I wake up, I'm like, so can I have coffee? <laughs> <laughs> can we go get some caffeine? Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one of my first questions. And they were That's like, great. They're like, uh, if you feel up to it, you can try and like there's a coffee shop downstairs. We can like wheel you down there. And at that point, my mom 
wheels me down there. I think a nurse came down with me as well. And that's where I pretty much started talking to my mom. I was like, okay, what day is it? I have my graduation. And my mom pretty much told me she doesn't agree. Like, I need to stay in the hospital. They need to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, I get back up to the room. I have the same conversation with them. Like, all right, did you guys figure out what's going on? Do you guys have ideas <laughs> to, you know, I'm graduating in a couple days. And they said, no, they said that they have zero idea what's going on. So I said, all right. So essentially I'm wasting my time here. And like, <laughs> it's, you can figure it out and run tests when I'm back at home too. I said, I don't need to stay here. I'll be in pain here. Or I'll be in pain at home. It's the same, you know, I'd rather yeah. be in pain at home. Um, yeah. They didn't like that decision. I was turning 18 in two months. So they said like legally they couldn't stop me if I wanted to leave. So I left. Um, I think I had to wait like two days before I could walk, like leave because they had to make sure I could like rewalk again because I'd been sleeping mm -hmm. and like eat and whatever. So by the time I got home, I had like less than a day to actually go to my graduation and get ready for that and okay. everything. So, yeah. <laughs> I admired that determination, <laughs> but, but like just one, one big, big thing that you said was that, you know, I can be in pain here. I can be in pain at home. It's like one thing that I want people and this is not to say don't listen to your doctor, but but this is more like trust your intuition. Like, so my father passed in 2019. And so while he was sick, he had stage four heart failure. And so at one point he was in a, a hospital here in Rhode Island and they kept discharg discharging him. He kept going back. They, they discharged him. He'd go back. And so I was talking with a friend of mine who also had heart failure. And he's like, you know, he needs to go to, to a place where they specialize in this. And so he's like, you know, what they're doing there is they've reached their capacity. You know, that doesn't mean that they just send him home. <laughs> I said, you got to go somewhere else. So I'm talking to my mom and she's like, well, the doctor's saying, I said, no, no. Next time the doctor comes in the room, I said, call me, you know, because like my mom doesn't like to ruffle feathers. Yeah. So, I, so I'm like, you know what, just have him call me. And I was like, with all due respect, he needs to go somewhere else where they specialize in heart failure. And it's like, yes, you guys are a cardiac unit, but you don't specialize in failure. And so, because he was in some rough shape. And it's like, we knew we were going to lose him eventually. We just didn't want to speed up the process. Yeah. So, so we had him transferred to Hartford, Connecticut. And within 24 hours, he was on different medication. He was more, more alert. He was upright. He was moving around and stuff. And so it's like people have medical rights. You know what I mean? You like you have so like if you feel you're not getting what you're getting where you are, you can seek another opinion. And I was like, I tell people there's seven billion people on this planet. You don't have to take the advice of one person. Yeah. <laughs> no, no and I agree with that completely. Like on that note, I hundred percent. I have been told hundred times by doctors that something's fine, something's not a big deal. And my gut tells me that's not the case. I yes. one time went to the ER because I was like, I know I study medicine. I have my master's in medicine. I was mm -hmm. like, I know what a blood clot is. I was like, I have a blood clot. I know mm -hmm. the symptoms of it. I was like, I have a blood clot. I can feel it. I have a port. It makes sense. They can't access my port. 
the doctor told me, she's like, no, you just have anxiety about having a port. You're fine. I was like, no, I promise you something isn't, <laughs> something isn't right. Like there's, yes. she refused to do an ultrasound. She, so I was like, all right, whatever, I'm leaving. I scheduled a different appointment with a vascular surgeon. They ended up finding three DVTs, um, mm. two in my jugular and one in my vena cava. And they're like, if this dislodged, it could have killed you in less than a minute. Mm. And I ended up on blood thinners. I ended up ultimately fine and they were able to get the blood clots out and everything but like you said if something doesn't feel right and someone shares an opinion that you're fine or whatever there's more doctors there's more medical systems find someone who will listen to you and who will help you yes i mean different extreme but i i injured my elbow so so now i've had seven surgeries right so i've torn quite a few joints <laughs> so it's like i know i know what it feels like that's the side effect of being overactive and being in my mid forties. <laughs> so um, when I injured my elbow, like I felt something shift. And so I immediately went to the ER. And so that was maybe I went too soon because it didn't really develop and it, it didn't show up on the x-ray or anything. And the doctor wrote it up as a bruise. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I've had hundreds of bruises in my time from playing football and just being a being a boy li living in the country running climbing trees falling out of trees you know it's like I, this is not a bruise like when that impact happened like something gave way inside there it's like i know what this feels like and still he wrote it up as a bruise so when i went to my ortho they were like oh you need an mri but because the doctor wrote it up as a bruise insurance wouldn't cover the mri and I was like, why, why are you people not listening to me? It's like, I get it. You're the doctor, but I know what I felt. <laughs> I was like, this yep. is far from a bruise. And then so they finally, it, it took me months. And I finally got the MRI. And they're like, oh, I had multiple tears and multiple uh, mu muscle damage. And when they finally went in for the surgery, my ortho was like, this is one of the worst elbows we've ever worked on. I was like, yeah, and it took me seven months to have the surgery. I said, had you guys just listened to me in January, I could have been healed by April. <laughs> but instead, I didn't have the surgery until July. You know, like, all because someone said, it's just a bruise. It's like, that, come on. It, once that first, like, diagnosis is made, it's so hard to almost fight that in a way. Yeah. Like, like you said, I... I just got surgery on my right knee. I'm six weeks post-op, but mm. very similar to you. It took, I've needed the surgery now for years. And by the time I got to the surgery, <laughs> the doctor was like, uh, you needed to be here like forever ago. But similar <laughs> to you, I used to be a dancer, used to be a boxer. I messed it up. I dislocated it multiple times. And they just kept telling me, they're like, oh, yeah, that's normal if you're active, if you're hypermobile, like, put a brace on it. We'll send you to PT and give you a cortisone injection. They kept doing that. It got to the point where I was like, I can't even walk right on it. I'm mm -hmm. limping. And they're like, yeah, that's normal. We'll give you another cortisone injection. And I'm like, no, this is normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be 25 and limping around like I'm 80. This doesn't make sense. Like, yes. By the time they finally got me to a surgeon, he's like, your kneecap is off to the side, 18 millimeters. He's like, 
every time that they sent you to PT, he's like, your hamstring was over strengthening and just pulling your kneecap even more off to the side. Mm -hmm. I needed a transplant from a donor. I needed my kneecap completely moved over. I'm like relearning how to walk again. And I'm like, all this severe stuff just because I'm like, it's five years after the fact now. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) someone just could have dealt with this earlier you know it's so true it's like being in the gym world you know injuries happen it's 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 a part of being active you know someone's gonna roll an ankle someone's gonna pull a hamstring it it, it just happens okay. but i can't i constantly urge my clients i'm like talk to multiple people so i yeah. had this one woman since she started with me she's had health issues but she just likes to stay active and so she came in this one day and she's just like kind of hobbling around and I was like, sister, have you spoken to anyone else? And she's like, well, no. I said, but I love my PT. I said, this, this is not about love. Yeah. I'm like, you've been in pain since I've met you. And yeah. so I was like, we have a physical therapist in the building where I train. So I was like, look, go talk to Tim. I'm like, Tim is amazing. So like anyone that I've referred to him has said he's amazing. And yeah. so she's like, yeah, but I, I said, listen, Take the emotions out of it. Damn it. You're in pain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you have to try something different. And so I see and This is maybe five or six days later. She comes to me. She goes, Rob. And now she's such, such, such a sweet woman. You know, she's an older woman. Doesn't really cuss. And she's like, Rob, I'm effing pissed at you. I was like, for what? <laughs> and she's like, Tim is amazing. She's like, and now I have to leave my other PT because he just completely opened stuff up on me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, but, like- but it's like, I just share that because you like, you can't just take the first diagnosis that, that you get. No. You know, you just, you just can't. So, but speaking of di- diagnosis, so how did you finally get yours? It was a process. Um, and honestly, like, very lucky and I don't looking back you know when everything just works out kind of perfectly to where you finally get to that point um so like you said you can't really take the first diagnosis I was at Phoenix Children's Hospital when I first got sick that was because I was 17 they kind of saw me for a few months until I turned 18 they said all right we can't see you anymore kind of kicked me out And then Mayo Clinic took me in, um, really just running a bunch of research. Unfortunately, they (laughs) charge like a couple thousand dollars before Mm -hmm. you see any of their doctors for them to kind of do that research on you. Mm -hmm. They diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which means I'm just very hypermobile, why I've broken so many bones. Um, They also diagnosed me with POTS. So my blood pressure and my heart kind of doesn't work right. But they said like, all right, this doesn't necessarily make sense with everything else you have going on. Like these are like two random things we found, but Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily know. They wanted me to see one of their neurologists there. And again, I think it was going to be like $4,000 just to see them. I hadn't even had an appointment with them yet. At that point, my parents couldn't afford this anymore. They were like yeah. maxed out on everything. Yeah. I kept sending my cases over to different neurologists that 
took my insurance. A lot of them kept denying me and saying, we have no idea what's going on. We're not going to see you. And then finally, one in Phoenix ended up calling me and saying, we think we know what you might have. Um, one of our neurologists accepted your case. He just moved here from the East Coast. And it's kind of like what he specializes in. Can you come in? And I came in. Again, I started kind of, I had like a spiel script, <laughs> like <laughs> planned for every doctor. I'm like, all right, this is what my issues are. But he kind of stopped me halfway through and he's like, I think I know what it is. He's like, are the rest of your symptoms this, 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 this? I was like, yeah. How do you like, usually no other doctors know that. Mm. And he showed me a paper and he's like, is this your full list of symptoms? And it was like three like rows, like the font was like this tiny of like all <laughs> these symptoms. And I'm wow. like, I'm like, I've never seen like all my symptoms that I feel like every doctor I was seeing was telling me like, it's not possible to feel all of that at one time, you know? And he's like, we need to run more tests. I can't really like tell you what it is. He's like, I can definitely tell that there's some sort of issue going on with your nervous system right now, though. They ran skin biopsies. They did a spinal tap. They did MRIs. So many <laughs> very like invasive tests, um, tons of blood work, tons of genetic tests. And they finally diagnosed me with what's called chronic inflammatory demyelating polyneuropathy. Yeah. So it's a, a mouthful. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's called CIDP for short, but it's the long-term form of GB or GBS, Guillain-Barre syndrome. And what is that? So it really just affects, unfortunately, your entire body and your oh. entire nervous system. So everything that works automatically stops working automatically for me. Oh. Um, everything in your body is protected by what's called a myelin sheath in your nervous system. My body <laughs> thinks my myelin sheath is the enemy and just constantly mm -hmm. works to break down the myelin sheath. Um, okay. So all those nerves that are supposed to send signals for my heart rate, my blood pressure, eating, nothing works automatically. I have to take medication for that. That's why I was passing out. I was throwing up. I was having seizures. Really nothing was working wow. for me that was supposed to. So, and, and, and what causes that? They have no idea. So wow. it's such a rare disease that they say about two people get diagnosed with it per year. Um, it's more common to get Guillain-Barre syndrome and stay in the ICU for a few weeks, get treatment, and it usually gets better. If you don't treat it initially, it can turn into CIDP, which is the chronic form. And that one's a little bit harder to treat. They think it might be caused initially from a virus or your body getting something and then just triggering an autoimmune reaction to it. Okay. But yeah, they have no idea. They check your genetics. They check everything. I've been a part of research and yeah, it's one of those okay. weird things. <laughs> wow. So, you know, the, the, the physical toll is obvious. How, but how has this changed your life and changed the direction of your life? It changed everything. I think it changed my mental state. It changed 
what I wanted to do career wise, it changed. <laughs> I think everything, who I'm friends with, how I think about life, really everything. Like I said, I wanted to be a wildlife vet. Um, when I really realized kind of what the repercussions of that would be on my body, how long it would take to get through school, everything, I realized that wasn't really a feasible option for me. Yeah. I can't necessarily be taking care of like large wild animals and be <laughs> passing out or having a seizure randomly. It yes. doesn't logistically make sense. True. Um, some people thought that that was me giving up on my dreams, but I kind of think life sometimes gives you, pushes you in a different direction when it's not where you're supposed to go. Absolutely. And for me, I didn't necessarily know where I was supposed to go at first. I still kept going to school. I got my master's by 22 and I was like, all right, I'm going to do project management now. I was helping companies kind of fix themselves, kind of starting from scratch or whether they were just needing to improve in other areas. And one thing led to another and that really kind of just led to me starting my own thing and really getting to where we are now with but you don't look sick so what was that one thing that led to another so for me the i want to say the biggest thing that really started but you don't look sick was throughout this entire journey i was doodling in this journal right i was drawing i was in hospitals all the time i would get isolated and put like in the chemo ward to where i would have to be by myself so drawing and doodling really became like an outlet for me okay. um and eventually i finished after like a couple of years i finished this book it was like 100 pages of drawing art and I showed it to my friends and family, you know, I was like, well, this is kind of weird to look back, you know, from the first page <laughs> all the way to yes. the end and see how much my mental state has changed to see how much everything was different. And my friends and family loved it. And they wanted the book for like copies of the book for themselves and copies of the art. Yes. So I figured out it was cheaper, honestly, for me to just scan the whole book put it as an e-book version, did that for friends and family. I posted it on Amazon to make it easier for them to download it. And then a bunch of strangers started finding me. <laughs> a bunch of strangers <laughs> started finding that book and reaching yeah. out to me on Facebook and saying, hey, I came across your book. I really relate to it. I titled that book, But You Don't Look Sick, yeah. just to be, like I said earlier, facetious, like, I had been told that my entire life. I was told that every time I told someone what was going on with me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call it, but you don't look sick because it's in some ways a dark book that you wouldn't expect from a blonde, blue eyed, like happy looking girl. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where the title came from. And I had all these strangers reaching out to me in my message requests were getting full and I felt weird. I felt, <laughs> I felt sad because I was ignoring these people. And I also really wanted to talk to them too, because they could relate. And at this time I didn't have an online community. I didn't really, I don't know, do much of that. So 
I created an Instagram page just called But You Don't Look Sick to point them over towards. I was like, hey, listen, I started this page. I'll share stuff from my book, quotes I like, whatever. And that page has just blown up. It's over 40,000 followers now. Nice. And yeah, like one thing has just led to another. I wanted to talk more than I could on my Instagram post. So I started a blog. And then people wanted to hear my full story. So I started a podcast and it's just kind of one thing like leads to another. And now it's this big thing and what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. But if I wouldn't have ever gotten sick, who knows? Love it. And as it says up above us, your true power lies in your story. So I'm glad that you shared that part because I try to urge people, no matter what it is that you're going through, put it out into the world because you have no idea who needs to hear it. They need to hear it the way that you can say it and how people will identify with you. It's just so many, so many amazing things can happen from it. Like I used to put, I used to put on my fitness page, a a, a tip of the day. It could just be something about drinking water. It could be something about getting steps in or whatever it was. And you know, you know, when social media is all about likes and shares and comments and everything else. And so there was like almost no engagement on these posts. So it's like, am I wasting my time here? So, so once I had just stopped it. And so it was like a couple of days. Then I started getting inbox messages like, Hey, what happened with the tip of the day? You know, it's like, I love starting my morning reading that stuff. I was like, Oh, so people, People want to hear this stuff. Okay. And then a couple of months goes by and I get this long inbox message about someone who lost 25 pounds. Now, I actually know the person. Like, I went to high school with them. But you're talking. I graduated a long time ago. I graduated yeah. in 1992. So it was like, I haven't, it's been like 30 years since I've seen this person. And uh, But they, they sent me this long message saying, I lost 25 pounds. You know, my blood pressure is down. My cholesterol is under control. So I just, I've just been following your posts every single day. And I just wanted to thank you for inspiring me. And it's just one of those things that, yeah, it may not get a million views or, you know, uh, 500 shares or anything. But everything that you post has the power to change the direction of someone's life. Yeah. You know, so the fact that you put your words out there. And it changed everything. It says, like, yeah, maybe you're not in that veterinary space making the lives of animals better, but you're making the lives of people better. So it's like you're still in that same scope. It just looks a little different, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's definitely – and like you said, it's it's hard sometimes when, like – and especially when you're first starting, you're like, if you only get two likes or two shares in that social media world, you're like, yeah. is this worth it? But – I think about it very differently. If 10 people like it, if two people like it, I think about that as if I had a conversation with two people that day and I changed the opinion of two people that day or made two people remember to drink water or remember to take their steps. That's a pretty big accomplishment. And when you actually think about it on a personal level and almost that butterfly effect, I want to say one person leads to another person to another person. And I think we can kind of easily forget about that, especially in the social media world. You want a hundred likes or a thousand likes, but then when you think about actually how big that scale is and think that those are actual individual people taking what you're saying to heart and acknowledging it. And I think that kind of brings a different element and makes me 
really appreciative of it, no matter if it's 10,000 likes or two likes. <laughs> that's really always my perspective of it. And it's true. like you said, just being very genuine. And I never expected to do this. People tell me all the time they love my writing. They love how I speak, whatever it might be. Throughout school, I was told I write horribly. My brain is too ADD. Yeah. I need to <laughs> calm down my thoughts. So I didn't think I would write. I hated the subject of writing. Yeah. And people always tell me how much I articulate what they have felt or what they've been thinking but weren't able to express. And yes. sure, you may not perfectly academically write correctly, but if you just express how you feel in a genuine way, people will resonate with that. And, and that's exactly what it boils down to because uh, I dropped out of college. And so when, when, I, when I'm speaking with people, a lot, a lot of people find that hard to believe. Because <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I talk about me mental health and I talk about all these other things. And they're like, oh, my God, like, what's your what's your background then? Like, oh, I have no background. <laughs> like, like, I'm 47 years old. Like, that that's my background. Like, I've lived through stuff. I've gone through stuff. I've overcome stuff. Yep. Like, I, and I'm qualified to speak about said stuff. You know, yep. so it's like, yeah, I can't medically diagnose you with something. But if you're stuck in a rut, I can help you get right out of that rut. You know, if yep. you suffered grief in your life, I can help you overcome that grief. Again, yep. just on the personal human side, like I said, if you need medication or if you need, you know, medical advice, I'm not your guy. But like, if you're stuck somewhere and you want to get somewhere else, I am qualified to get you there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it boils down to. Like you said, be your authentic self, show up powerfully, show up from a place of caring and giving and then the world rewards you. Like I got a, I got an email the other day that my podcast is ranked 19th in Indonesia. I don't even know where Indonesia is, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have a following of people there who regularly listen to this show. <laughs> you know, I love and, that. <laughs> I know it's somewhere in the far East. That, that's all I know. <laughs> I love that. That is great. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, about your, about your site, your business. So like, how did you, how did you go about building it? Like who's your target? What's your end goal? What's next for you? All that good stuff. Yeah. So really for me, my biggest goal was to be a central hub of information for everyone, for patients, caregivers, people who really want to educate themselves more. My biggest thing when I got sick with this rare disease was I had no one I could connect to and I couldn't find necessarily information online. I felt like a lot of it was researching and finding my own information and kind of learning this new language in a way. It was all very new. It was, it was kind of overwhelming <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I found different, places with information but they were all again very separate very like each place had different pieces of information so with but you don't look sick once I started the website for the blog really to just be able to talk more I realized I wanted to include more information so on there is really just research of different diseases things that if you need financial help, you can find different websites I've come across that offer financial help. If you want to listen to podcasts, 
I share different podcasts <laughs> from people who talk about what it's like having a disease, different TED Talks, different people in the community that I think are worth following. Really just a lot of things that I wish I had when I first got sick. Yes. And that's really just kind of my main goal at the end of the day is to make people feel seen and to make it easy to find all this information in one place. I like. All right. So on the website, is it B-U-T-Y-O-U? Uh, B-U-T-U and then don't look sick. Yeah. Like this doesn't look like you. (laughs) You're like, this isn't you. (laughs) I just wanted wanted to check it out while, while you were talking about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, it's really grown. We've started a clothing shop with there it is. raising awareness for different conditions. So clothing with different condition names, but you don't look sick. The back says not every disease is visible. So really just different ways that we can raise awareness. And there we go. There's us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead. You can keep talking. Yeah, Yeah, but yeah, we're just really trying to focus. And then we talk about the nonprofit side. So we did recently get accepted to become a nonprofit. And we are now starting to fundraise ourselves to be able to pay for patients medical bills, because that is a huge stressor for a lot of patients is Mm. not being able to afford their medical bills, not being able to pay to get better. They're choosing between buying their groceries or picking up their medications. And I don't think that's a decision anyone should be making. So that's really our big goal with the nonprofit side is helping patients in that way. And then really the social side is just providing that information, providing that community feeling and reminding people they're not alone, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. See, I have I have two different computers here. <laughs> and like I'm trying trying to copy paste, but I keep hitting the wrong computer. <laughs> so, so if it looks like I'm not paying attention, I am. I'm trying to get your website up on the screen. There we go. <laughs> there you go. I love yeah, because for some reason on my desktop, the green screen stopped working. And I don't know why. So when I broadcast now, I bring my laptop in. But, like, my regular stuff is still here, and I've done, what, 200-some-odd episodes of using the same keyboard and mouse. <laughs> so, so I'm the same way. Things. I have yes. different yeah, computers, and I'm like, okay, wait, which one goes to which one? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why isn't it copying? Like, oh, wrong keyboard. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> or I'll oh, plug boy. in my mic somewhere, and I'm like, why can't I hear anyone? And I'm like, wrong computer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's too funny. Yeah, so this is this is great. It's like I love that you're you're getting the word out, and it's de- it's definitely super super disrespectful when people say, "Oh, you don't look sick. Or, you don't look look like you need assistance." Or why is that person in a wheelchair? It's like, how about you mind your business? <laughs> you know, because coming yep. from someone that has been there myself, you think I want to be in a wheelchair? <laughs> because trust me, I don't. You think I want a walker after I had my knee surgery? Hell no, I don't. You know, it's like you're walking around in pain. You don't owe anybody any explanations. And just the fact that people feel so emboldened to comment, you know, it's like, what is going on in your life that you're worried about why I'm in a wheelchair? 
that's my favorite when you say that it's funny because one of my biggest response when my disability is visible like i mentioned i got this leg surgery this transplant so i have a brace or i recently got it off but i had this brace yeah. that went up from my thigh all the way down to my ankle it was this yeah. huge metal thing i was either in a wheelchair or two crutches and people yeah. just kept coming up to me and they're like what's wrong with you so then my favorite thing would just be like, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah, for real. <laughs> and like, why do you feel the need to comment on something that either does or doesn't look visible? Or I have a handicap parking because like I said, I'll pass out if with my mm. blood pressure and my heart rate. And so many people come up to me and they're like, oh, who'd you steal that handicap pass from? Or, oh, mm. are you using your grandparents' handicap pass? And I'm like, my grandparents are dead. This is mine. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what. And it's just so funny to make people feel uncomfortable now. Like, I feel like their goal in some ways to make me feel uncomfortable. So that's just yeah. what I've gone back doing. And I'm like, maybe the next person, or if they said this to someone else, won't feel comfortable or confident enough to, I don't know, make a comment back. Yeah, so. Check them. Yeah, I'm like, I'll be that person. <laughs> exactly. I'll make you feel uncomfortable from bothering another disabled person if that's what it takes. Yes, like I did I did an obstacle race. It was up in Vermont. Now, the year before I did this race, it was cold up there. So it was, in, in, it was mid-September, and it was cold. So for whatever reason, the next year, I don't know if it was global warming or just a freak thing, but it was 85 degrees. So 85 in Vermont in mid-September is hot. Very so, hot. So it's not Arizona Vegas hot, but for up here it's hot. And so the, the race company ended up running out of water. And so it was a 16 mile race. So you know we have hydration packs and you're trying to fill it. And again, one of those things that you can't see from looking is I have one kidney. And I donated one to my sister. So hydration is super, super important. You know, to the point to where being dehydrated can shut down my remaining kidney. Yeah. And so they finally get to a place where there's water and there's a big line. And so I cut the whole line <laughs> because I was at a point where like yeah. my body was shaking. Yeah. And so like, I don't know what's going on in here. And I, I can't wait for 200 other people to get their water. So yeah. I cut the entire line. And this one dude is like, hey, buddy. You can wait in a line like the rest of us. I said, how many people here have one kidney? I said, all right, then I won't be waiting like the rest of you. Yeah. And I kept, and I kept on going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I was like, you know, don't, don't just judge. It's like, you don't know what somebody else is dealing with. Yeah. You never know. And that's know. always my biggest thing that I try and remind people. It's even if someone isn't publicly announcing it, if someone doesn't publicly look sick or look like something's wrong with them you can't see everything that's going on like you yes. said you had seven surgeries i'm in the same boat i'm covered in scars i have two here i have my arm my leg yeah. my stomach no one can see that especially when i'm wearing a jacket or a t-shirt you think they can see all my scars so yeah i always say everyone's going through something everyone is dealing with something that you might not be able to see so just mm -hmm. keep your mouth shut if you <laughs> if you don't understand it or exactly. you feel like making a derogatory or a negative comment. Just keep your mouth shut. I'm happy to educate people. I'm happy to talk to people who are genuinely curious and want to learn and say, like, 
one thing is coming up to someone saying like, Hey, what's going on? Like, I've never seen that brace before. Like, what is it for? Yeah. Okay. I will totally educate yeah, you. Yeah. That's different. Exactly. That's completely different. Coming down my level, talking to me like a person, you know, not, Hey, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I want to have a conversation with you then? Exactly. And, and, and with, with me, I'm, I'm a naturally curious person. Like, and yeah. I work, I work with the body and I know how resilient the body is. Yeah. So if I see something, I'll say, what are you dealing with? Yeah. And, and that's usually pretty well received. Yeah. Versus what's wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, I'm normal. You're not. Why that's are you exactly not normal? What it feels like. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, it feels like, I don't know. It, then it almost makes you feel like everyone kind of perceives you in that way. Like everyone yes. sees you as, oh, you have something wrong with you. But that guy was the only one bold enough to say it. You know what I mean? And it's like. All right, going out into the world already takes enough energy from us sometimes. Like, yes. I don't want to have to explain myself 30 times a day <laughs> on yes. top of that. See, and that's the other part I wanted you to address before before we break this down. Is like, what do you say to someone who's living with th that chronic illness that can't be seen and they're afraid or not, maybe not necessarily afraid, but they don't want to deal with with people in that manner it's like what can like how can you empower them to share their stories and not let those naysayers keep them in a shell i feel like for me the biggest thing is being aware of the kind of person that you're dealing with and talking to it's know whether you are dealing with someone that you can educate or if it's someone that just wants to bother you or is being nosy I feel like a lot of the time you can waste your energy on people who don't really necessarily care to be educated or <laughs> aren't open to receiving. So yes. be very conservative of your energy. Know whether it's someone who's genuinely curious or whether it's someone who is just nosy and wants to bother. My favorite way to shut down nosy people when they say, what's wrong with you? You don't look sick, etc." I always say, not every disability is visible and it kind of just shuts it down. I stop the conversation there. I move <laughs> on. I walk off, um, hobble off with my crutches. <laughs> if, Like you said, if they're genuinely curious and they say, what are you going through? Like, I've never seen that brace before. Like, what's your condition? Yeah, I will totally, if I have time, I'll sit there and, or if I don't, I'll say, I don't, necessarily have the time to explain it to you but i have a rare disease called cidp you can look it up and learn more if you're interested yeah. and it's not necessarily your responsibility to educate everyone but exactly. if you want to you can offer those tools and but also be sure to be aware to conserve your energy and not feel like you have to educate everyone if you don't want to yes. Yeah, like when, when I was dealing with, so I, I was getting on a flight and granted, I was going to do a Spartan race, but like I said, you don't know what hurts me and when. Yeah. So it's like walking, I'm fine. Jogging, I, I can jog intermittently. You know, give me yeah. about 200 meters that I can walk. Jog 200 meters, I walk. I can split it up. Sitting in a cramped space at the time was excruciating. Yeah. And so to sit on a three hour flight crammed up in the middle 
didn't work. Like, like I said earlier, so I would get the pre-board so I could get one of the front seats so I can stretch out. Yeah. And this guy sitting in the business class line, because, you know, the pre-boarders go first. And same thing. He's like, hey, buddy, you know, you know, same, same thing. Like, you don't look like you need assistance. And I said, how would you like me to look? <laughs> like, what's acceptable for you? Yeah. And then he didn't say, it, and I just walked, walked off. I just left left it at that. It's like, like I don't owe you an explanation. No. It was like I know why I need this pre board. Yep. You know, it's like if you're bold enough to make a statement, like what's acceptable for you? Like how should I look? Yeah. It's like should I be limping? Should I be on crutches? Should should I be? You know, it's like yeah, I can walk. I can walk to the plane. Sitting yeah. is the problem. Sitting. Yeah. Okay. So, so just because I'm not in a wheelchair doesn't mean that I don't need an accommodation once I get on the plane. You know, oh, it's yeah. like it's like I can deal with it now, but kind of how you said I have a scar this big across my knee. Because yep. I because I had a patella tendon rupture where my kneecap went three to four inches up my quad and like so much other stuff tore in there as well. So like those first few years after that surgery, it said sitting was the worst. Long car rides, plane rides. Anything yep. where I was sitting for hours, it was hell, yep. you know? So the fact that I could get the very first seat in the plane where I could actually stretch out and keep it as straight as possible made my world easier. Yeah. You know, I was like, sorry that I don't look the part for you, <laughs> you know, but how does where my seat on the plane affect your life one ounce? <laughs> and it's always, it's a lot of the time I feel like, and I get asked that too. It's almost like people feel like if they pay for a certain accommodation to be, I don't know, load first, whatever it might be, be first in line. Once a disabled person gets past them, I've noticed this like attitude of like, yeah. why am I paying if they get to go before me? Like, and it's like, all right. You want to trade bodies for a few minutes? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I just, I'm like, what? why we're all going to leave the plane at the same time yes. where it's taking off at the same time. Like yep. I have, it's so right. I have a body that needs a little bit more time. I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you can gladly feel what, what I feel. If I could transfer it to you for 20 minutes and let's see, let's see how, how you deal with this. Like we deal with this every single day. Yeah. You know, every day. Sorry. You have to wait three extra minutes before you board. Like, come on. (laughs) I know. One girl told me her favorite quote to use, and I love it. She said, You can take my benefits if you take my disability. I'm like, Exactly. I'm like, That's true. That's Mike drop. Yep. I'm like, I love that. Mike drop. (laughs) Me too. All right. Well, this this was a great conversation as I knew it was going to be. Yeah. I think think I'm going to reach out to Gigi and see if I can get you guys both on an episode. Yeah. That would be awesome. just, Just talk about talk about life because because again it's one of those things that, that I think people may not say that stuff from a place of malice but they just don't realize what a jerk they come across as <laughs> you yep. know? So, so like just the more that we, we can have these conversations it's just it just maybe it'll make people think twice about how they interact not knowing what someone's going through on the inside it's like, it's like yeah maybe I'm not limping that doesn't mean I don't hurt yeah <laughs> you know <And> <laughs> And it's really people just being aware that for them, it might just feel like maybe we're the first disabled person they've seen in a while. And they're asking this question, but 
honestly, I'll get this question like when I go out somewhere like 10, 15 times a day, like I'll be stopped every like 10 feet if I'm using crutches or whatever. And I'm like, do you think about how exhausting that is to have to explain <laughs> yes. yourself every couple mm-hmm. of feet? Like you can't just go to a grocery store. Exactly. And I feel like people just need to be more educated. Yes, and and just mind your business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like mind your business. If, you know, if I'm on the the little wheel card thing at, at, at the grocery store, it, do you think I want to be on that? Because yeah. I promise you, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely don't. But like, if I'm if I see someone on it, then they obviously need to be on it. Yeah, and it's like I'm not going to try to figure it out. They don't owe me anything. I, I'm there to get my groceries. I get my groceries and I leave. Yeah, it's like the person on the scooter. More power to you. Do what do yeah. what you got to do. Yeah. You know, but but it's it's because uh, like I I witnessed it before being there just watching people belittle other people and it's like who the hell are you? Yep. To talk down on this person because at some point it could be you. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. Like, think about that. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't mock anybody's pain because I've been in pain. If yep. anything, I'm like ooh, like they must be in rough shape to have one of those. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Let's think about it that way. Yeah. Rather than. You don't look sick. I, I get, what was it? My tongue's supposed to be hanging out of my mouth and me walking on bow legged? Like, oh, what am I yeah. supposed to look like? <laughs> That's, and I always say, like, I think that people assume it's this very small population of disabled and sick people, but mm. one out of every four people is disabled or has a chronic condition. Mm. And that's a lot of people when you think about it. <laughs> so if What's they wrong? think it's such a small scale, it's one out of every four people is a lot. When you just look in a room and you start counting people that's yeah. and know that that many people out there are probably struggling too, it's it changes your perspective. Yeah, that and that's the thing too. It's like you don't know the struggle that yeah. someone is going through. And then your your ignorant comments could be enough to push this person over the deep end. It's like, you never know. It, it, it might just be an innocent inquiry to you, but to that person, it's like the hundredth time today yeah. that they're hearing something dumb like that. And yeah. then they're going to turn around and snap on you. Yeah. So that's why minding your business is key. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> oh God. All right, Melody, this has been a solid conversation. And uh, yeah, like I said, definitely want to ha- have you back back on, you know, down the line. We'll check in with you. Yeah, and um, I'm probably going to do, I do panels and uh, I'm probably going to do one on living with chronic illness because I've had se- several of, of you guys on now, not just you and Gigi, and get a group of people together and just let everyone go through, share their stories. And again, just to spread, spread the word, spread awareness and uh, let pe- people know that there's people like you who are out there make- making a difference. Yeah, I would love that. That sounds awesome. All right. This is great. So I will be in touch. And um, I have some connections for, for you as well. All right. That so, sounds uh, amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah. So seek me out on Facebook because I make the uh, connections there on okay. Messenger. Just because just emails can get buried. So yeah, every, every, everybody che- checks their messages. Yep, <laughs> <So>. that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great day. Thank you so much. I appreciate right. talking to you. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. All right, so that was Melody. If you're tuning in late, make sure you go back and watch the entire thing. We shared a lot of solid insights here, and uh, that's what it's all about. So just because someone may not look like they're in pain on the outside, you never know what they're suffering with on the inside. So be kind, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. 
We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Until next time. Shut up.